be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig to beg, to, uh, to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his uh, Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my Lord? And he said, un, and he said A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill and write four score. And the Lord commended the unjust servant because that he had done wisely. For the children of this world are the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make unto your make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. And he also that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. If therefore you have not been faithful in that with faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? The riches is italicized. wasn't in the original Greek, but it implies that there are true riches as opposed to false riches which he would call the mammon of unrighteousness. And we talked a little bit about the mammon of unrighteousness. That's not our focus. It's actually one of the only things in the Bible, or the only things in the Bible, that God put just juxtaposed to uh, one another. When he says, um, uh, you cannot love uh, God and, and mammon. Um, in fact, turn to Matthew uh, 6. Matthew 6 and look at verse uh, 24. And no man can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money, which is amazing because the church for years preached. Actually, service to mammon. Because the focus was mammon, the focus was not God. And that's why he said uh, in verse 33, again, Jack supposed this to, to you and money, us and money. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God or the development or the maturity of the family structure. Because the family is based upon the kingdom of God. So true riches as opposed to false riches. Remember God, one of the qualifications for 
a bishop is that he not be greedy or filthy lucre. In other words, he's just in it for the money. God wants us to be in it for him. And we looked at a little bit of kind of cursory look at what true riches would be and how do we get there. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 3. And look at verse... Uh, Sixteen, Revelation three sixteen. Revelation three sixteen. It says, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be as rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and appoint and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be ye zealous, therefore, and repent. So God says, counsel me gold that's tried in the fire. Uh, turn to First um, Peter chapter one. What is gold tried in the fire? I mean, it's when you're in the fire, you're you're under immense immense pressure. That's part of the way you part of the way you know you're in fire. You're in in a spiritual sense. You're under immense pressure. It's emotional, sometimes physical. And that pressure is designed to rid you of the impurities that keep you from being like God. And being like God is where the true wealth comes in. All of the different characteristics, characteristics and things we've been talking about for the last few years is the true wealth of God. But people think the true wealth of God is performing miracles, signs, and wonders. That's God's ability that he does, and he doesn't get his identity by what he does. Yes, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, but he doesn't identify by that. identifies by uh, the Father, which is what he said he wanted us to relate to him as. Uh, let's look at verse 6. It says, wherein you, are, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So heaviness means pressure, you know. Again, he's trying to put the pressure on you to, to purify you from the impurities that keep you from having the true wealth of God. And he said that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perished, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory and at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom though we have, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. 
of which salvation the prophets have endured and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So we know from this scripture that uh, when God gets you to the, when he uh, purifies you, uh, silver and gold, that uh, when he purifies all of the dirt out of you, that your soul will be saved. Because of receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. And so when you're in the midst of a trial, that's where you develop the goal to get your faith. That's where you develop the goal, in the midst of trouble. And we have a lot of people that can do things, you know, in the nice comfortability of a church, and they can rebuke demons and all kind of stuff to go outside and meet a real demon. Remember them sons of Sceva? You don't know. Well, look at Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. And that's why God puts us through pressure. Because once you go through pressure and heaviness and testing, you know how you will respond. You know how you will respond. And he wants you to know. He already knows what we're going to do, but he wants us to know. And as I said, you know, you have to be prepared. Look what he told uh, Jeremiah, verse 5. He says, if thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted they wearied thee, then how can... How was I doing the swelling of Jordan? He says, I'm giving you an easy job to preach to people. And these people are not even as tough as the people in Jerusalem. And they are wearying thee. You can't, you're not ready to go to Jerusalem, but I need you to go to Jerusalem. For even thy brethren in the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Yeah, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. So he says, um, if you're not ready for the footman, how are you going to contend with the horsemen? And that's what God is trying to do, get the impurities out of our heart and soul. Uh, look at uh, Psalms 105 real quick and then I'll <clears throat> Go back into where I was. Psalm 105, look at verse uh, 105, let's look at verse uh, 17. He said, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron to the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. And the word, again, is pure and holy and righteous. The word is trying to deliver us from those impurities. Um, until the time that his word came, and the word of the Lord tried him. Look at uh, Psalm 66. Yep. And look at verse 10. 
Yes, uh-huh. Psalm 66, verse 10. says, For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net, thou latest affliction upon our loins. So this is how God tried them by bringing them through the net. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou brought us out into a wealthy place. I will go into thy house with my burnt offerings, and I will pay thee my vials. Fire and water, he says, to bring us out into a wealthy place again, purifying us. Now turn to Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 7. Purifying us. It's 3, 7, and, well, 6 and 7, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Yes. Genesis 3, 7, but I said we're going to start at 6. <clears throat> and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Again, as I said, they were the only one in the garden, just them two, but it was the first time they had seen each other without the glory of God and saw each other unclothed. The first thing that happened is that both of them thought that they or both of them projected their feelings on one another and became insecure about their sexuality. They made themselves aprons to cover up their sexual anatomy. So they became aware of their sexuality apart from God. And once you become aware of yours, you automatically become aware of others. Like I say, you send babies in a room and undress them. They will not even realize that they undress until somebody comes in with some craziness and uh, turns them off. Now, as I said before, you know, and you also, uh, most some of you grew up during a time where uh, you didn't hear about uh, puberty or talk about it. Um, when I was in uh, college, I, I uh, took a, a few psychology classes, but um, Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalyst, seemed to have been preoccupied with uh, human sexuality, and he thought it pervaded everything. And so the people uh, that were psychoanalysts thought he was a nut because of it. And he did kind of go way too far with it, uh, even to the sense where he was talking about uh, boys uh, liking their mamas and that kind of craziness, you know. But, um, but this is a very pivotal time in everybody, everyone's life. But because we don't talk about, because people don't want to talk about sex, then nobody talks about it. And it's, a, it's like I said, from Genesis 3, 7 all the way to, to chapter 6, Satan uh, has man involved in so much illicit sexuality that God decides to destroy the earth with the flood. You know, by chapter 6, angels are having sex with women and causing giants to be filled on the earth. 
you know, and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real issue. And as I said before, you know, uh, my parents were good old country people. They didn't know nothing about all of this craziness. They didn't talk about uh, puberty and things like that. So hits everybody differently. People are affected differently. It's, some people have a what you call a um, a certain continuum where they where they uh, they're on a on a certain uh, uh, certain level that is considered normal. You know, most people don't go crazy when they go through puberty. You know, and you know back then they in the '60s they didn't really understand it. You know, they, when a girl was had gone through puberty and. You know, she started developing, and maybe even catching an eye of a little, they would tell her she'd get a little fast, you know, slow down. You're developing too fast, and you're acting too fast. I need you to slow down. And, get, and boys, they, <laughs> I heard this word, which I have not heard in, since the 60s. They used to tell the boys it was getting too mannish. Mannish. What mannish, what is that? <laughs> but, uh, I used to hear my aunt say it all the time, you get mannish. But um, during this time is when the time that the devil comes in and takes your mind, some of everywhere. So even by the time I was, when I was, the way I found out about um, prostate and prostate cancer was from the guy I worked with at my job. And so as I was getting close to 40, he was telling me, he said, Johnny, you know, you got to go get yourself checked out. You're getting close to 40. And, you know, I said, checked out? He said, yeah. I said, checked out what? <laughs> he said, no, you got to go get the doctor, man. He said, the doctor, he's going to bend you over? This slowed me down for at least two years when he said this. He's going to bend you over like a double barrel shotgun. No, he ain't. <laughs> so, and, 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 and my boss is pretty silly, so, you know. He said, uh, first time it was painful. Second time, you know, he got the guy a card. Third time, he said, he bought him flowers. I said, no, these ideas. But, uh, you know, my parents had never said anything to me about that. Even though my grandfather had it. Three uncles had it, and I had it. And uh, when I, when when my father told me about it, I I was actually at the doctor uh, for a cold, and uh, he called the doctor. <laughs> I'm almost 40 years old. He called the doctor. He told the doctor. He said, uh, "Give him that test." <laughs> yeah. So the doctor come in with a glove on, talking about your daddy, said, give you a test. And I'm like, my daddy say, dude, what are you talking about? So I said, oh, well, I'm here. You know, no time like the present. I might as well go on and get my test. And so, you know, I did. So then I thought back to all of the stuff when I was younger when I found out about this stuff, because the doctor's giving me uh, you know, he's giving me ideas and things that you can do. So, you know, like, when I, I kind of get into it a little bit later, but when I grew up, you know, I was a, I mean, I was a daddy's boy. I wanted to be like my father, I wanted to 
till I got mad at him. But before I got mad at him, I wanted to be like him and please him or whatever, you know. And uh, so, you know, I did a lot of things that I thought would get his attention, but it didn't, you know, like playing football, baseball, or basketball. <laughs> I got none of his attention, so I didn't start boxing. I thought I'd get his attention. But um, anyway, I know my father loved his father. And so one time, uh, the whole family, we went down south, which is Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, my, my, my grandfather has a, uh, well, he had a home in, uh, in Bossier City, had uh, a home he built there for the family. Then he built a couple of rental properties on the same street. And then he had a house in the country in Benton, which is where he stayed. So when they stayed down there, you know, when they stayed down there, my, my father was going to go back. He said, well, you, do you, you want to stay? And I said, well, yeah, I'll stay. Stay with the granddaddy, you know, it's the guy you like him or impress him. He'll be impressed with me eventually. Uh, but you know, it's hot in the south. So one day my grandfather asked me, because, you know, he, he was like, he's in his 80s and he's trying to get a t-shirt on, a cotton t-shirt. And he got stuck. He got his arm stuck in there. So he said, boy, come in and help me get this uh, shirt on. That's what he talked back then. <laughs> it wasn't like grandson, boy, come in here and get the shirt on. So, uh, you know, I went in there and working with the shirt with him, and I finally got it on. But I noticed that my grandfather had breasts. And when I noticed he had breasts, I said, he can't have breasts. <laughs> He's a man. Only women have breasts, you know. And so, I mean, I had probably about eight or nine, ten years old. I found the news. I went back and I told my cousin. I said, man, come here, let me tell you something. He said, what? He said, man, I just helped granddaddy get his shirt on. He got breast. He said, what? He said, you lying. I said, no, I'm telling you. He's a man, but he got breast. He said, I got to see it for myself. So he uh, goes and knocks on my grandfather's door, and grandfather comes to the door, but he got his T-shirt on, he got his shirt and suit down now. And uh, he didn't see anything, so he come back, he said, man, you lying, I ain't see nothing. I said, I'm telling you, man, I would not lie about that. So when I get home, well, anyway, let me, let me go back a little bit. Well, my father sent me the ticket to ride home with them, but he sent the wrong ticket. My grandfather was upset about that. So when we got to Chicago, he, um, when we got to Chicago, he had to, he had to change my ticket. But since he was upset about my ticket, or him changing my ticket, he was mad at my daddy, but he was mad at me too. Probably because I looked a little like him, I guess, but he was mad at me too, so he was pushing me around like, you know, get out the way, boy. You know, your daddy bought this old ticket. Go out the way, you know, so my grandma was like, hey, dude. I mean, you know, I want you to go chill a little bit. The boy didn't buy the ticket yet. I mean, well, his daddy bought it. He should have bought the right ticket. <laughs> Okay. So when I get back, I had two, two things to tell my father. One, his father pushed me, and I need you to holler at him about that. <laughs> two, did you know that your father? So uh, when I told him about his father pushing me, he just kind of ignored that. Oh, well, you know. 
You know, the old people get grouchy, so don't, don't pay no attention to that. Got to do that, so okay. I say, but uh, granddaddy got breasts. Father looked at me. Then he just turned away. I said, Daddy, granddaddy got breasts. I seen him. He down there in the shirt. He got breasts. He just looked at me. Wouldn't say nothing. Come on, man. This is a thing for a kid to find out. Somebody got to tell me something. I know who to go get the information from. I go talk to my mama. That's you. My mama tell me what's going on. Mama, I got something to tell you. Please tell me why. When I was down south, I was helping granddad take his shirt off. I realized he had breasts. I'd never seen a man with breasts before. I know I ain't been here that long, but I'd never seen a man with breasts before. How does he have breasts? Yeah. And she said, uh, your grandfather taking hormone treatments. I said, hormone treatment? What are you doing that for? Why would he want to take some treatments and give him breasts? She said, you don't understand all of this. I mean, this stuff is like way over your head. You know, just, just uh, let it go. You understand it older when you get older. And when I understood it, is after I got my prostate checked. Because people back then, you just don't talk about it. And like I said before, it affects people differently, differently, especially if during that time uh, of their natural development, they get interrupted during the natural development of their personality, their identity, and sexuality. And uh, sometimes they don't realize that's how quick it is. You know, because most, you hear people talking about they got a sexual addiction, you're like, oh yeah, right, you're crazy. You ain't got an addiction, you're crazy. But um, as I said, it affects people differently, but where it affects everyone the same, that it does make you aware of your sexuality. And it happens so fast and so subliminally that when you meet people, you automatically size them up sexually just like that. And you don't, it happens so quick sometimes you don't even think about it. Sometimes it'll, it'll slow up and it'll bother you. It'll say like, oh yeah, they look all right. Like, oh, they don't look too bad. Oh, they look nice. They look good. He a dude, but you know, I'm full with dudes. He probably got a lot of women. Hmm. And those subliminal messages, you take that, put it in a, not even a hostile environment, just a different environment, and you got problems. They say 60% of the pedophiles have chemical imbalances. Also, all the serial killers, the serial rapists, conservatives, <laughs> they suppress everything. <laughs> Dude, tell me a conservative Christian, I'm like, what? <laughs> Who you molesting? Because <laughs> that seemed to be their uh, <laughs> thing. Don Lemon was molested. How he ended up being Don Sweet Lemon. Somebody molested him. It changed who he was during a pivotal time during his development. 
You remember the pastor Ted Haggerty, another guy, was uh, molested, was on Oprah. Oprah wanted him to admit he was gay or born gay. Of course, we know about the Catholic priests, Paul Crouch, Eddie Long. They all had issues with it. We can't even mention the people, it's so many. And so that's why you have to be aware of your sexuality apart from God and be willing to try to do something with it. And you know, my, we, when uh, we was growing up, I, like I said, my grandfather was talked about as though, you know, he was one of the most righteous, holiest men on the earth. So, you know, we had a lot of reverential fear for him, you know, but, uh, so my father at 15 years old decided that he's gonna date my grandfather's deacon's wife and still show up at church on Sunday. My grandfather said, no, it don't work like that. You can't come in here and date the deacon's wife and think you're gonna go to church here. So we had to put him out. We put him out the church in the house too. You know. But he, as a consolation prize, he let him move to his house in, in uh, Bolger City. So my father said he left home at uh, 13 or 15. He didn't really leave home. <laughs> he had a little help. <laughs> you know. But there's, there's, there's issues. There's issues. You know, and so I know my father was trying to deal with his sexuality also. You know, I told you he got a whooping for finding out that the cow had a baby. But he was trying to deal with it <laughs> and didn't know how. And he told me this story one time where this preacher gave him a ride home on a horse, and the preacher kept trying to go towards this widow's house. But the preacher kept hitting the horse on the head. Turn around, Nelly, what you doing going that way? Because the preacher was getting got busted. So my father said, well, the, pre the horse must be used to going that way. Shut up, boy. You want to walk? <laughs> no, I'll take the ride. <laughs> and, you know, as I say, it's during this time that you have to really be careful and protective. You know, protective of your children. Now, my youngest boy, Jonathan, 26, but he don't understand his human sexuality. And I can't explain it to him where he can't understand it, you know, but, and I told some of you here, you know, that he was, you know, standing by these girls' door and peeping under the door and, you know, doing little crazy stuff, you know, and caught him doing it. So I told him, I had a talk with him, I told him, I said, uh, you know, I said, I can't have you doing this. I said. <laughs> This is crazy. I said, I can't have you done. I said, now your, your uncle, Jonathan's uncle, is autistic. And, uh, you know, he uh, been in prison the last 30, 35 years trying to, well, he molested uh, numerous of his nieces and nephews and uh, tried to rape his mother, you know. So that's how crazy that stuff is, and he locked him up, you know. So I told him, I said, you know, if you can't, you know, because I talked to him about it before, and I said, you know, if you cannot control yourself, you can't stay here. I said, but now, 
if you want to, if you want to, if you think you can control yourself, you can stay here. I said, but I can't have any of this activity anymore. You peeping under the girl's door and all this stuff and doing a little quirky, crazy stuff, you know, following them around, all that stuff. So, you know, so he chose to leave. He said he, he didn't know if he could. Man, you don't know if you can. <laughs> I can't have you stay here under those circumstances. I'm telling you, you do something to one of these girls, you're going to get hurt in a way you ain't never been hurt, and I don't want to have to do that. Or send you to jail for the rest of your life. But ain't nobody going to hurt no, none of these girls while I'm here. <laughs> they to kill me first. And I said, I'm just not going to let that happen. I said, you need to get some help. Because you ain't going to hurt somebody, and you're going to end up in prison. They're not going to let you go. You know. So. Stuff is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's serious. You think you know people, you know. I think people thought they knew Roy Moore. I mean, <laughs> you know, you think you know people. And then all of a sudden, you know, he is just being nice to somebody and they want to come out naked. <laughs> what? We rebuke all of that in the name of Jesus. Let us bow our heads. Father God, we just thank you for your many blessings. We pray, Lord God, that you protect all the children from pedophiles, all the women from rapists and sexual perverts. I don't know where these people family be. I've been watching them say, all you need is a dude. Send a brother, where's a brother or something? A cousin or a relative, you know. Pain will change your mind, I'm telling you. So I need a good whooping. Leave that woman alone. She can't come to work without you harassing her. You know. But Father, we pray for them. We even pray for them that they would be saved. Because that's the root of the problem, that they would be saved. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you. Amen. Well, we went to the Mayo Clinic, <laughs> and the Mayo Clinic really didn't have much for me. He uh, gave us a couple of ideas. One thing he said he gave me, he can give me some two months to, to make me live two months longer, however long that is. <laughs> so whatever, I guess what, if you take these pills, they give you two months on top of what you have, but I don't know how the pills know what you have, you know. And then the uh, last thing he talked about was uh, uh, immunotherapy. But he said, U of M does that, I don't need to do it there. You know? Immunotherapy is, you know, where they try to get your immune system to fight the cancer. And I think it's something like it's, you had to be on the chemo for three weeks in order to take it. And uh, then uh, you got, uh, I think it's uh, 1,400 different kind of, 14,000 different kind of genetic things that they're markers that they would be looking for to help out so, the trial. But anyway, that's where we're at. Still praying, still believing God.
I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know 